We've been looking at this letter written by James to a church that was scattered abroad. And I want to take just a minute to zoom out because today we're going to put a bow onto one of the themes that really comes out in the book of James. And so I want to talk about the themes of James very quickly. James, we studied this. It was on our hearts because the very introduction to the letter says, consider it joy when you're in trial. And I appreciated that verse so many times over the last couple years of navigating life and godliness that I thought it would be worth um, studying it to try to figure out how to live it out. And so we called the series Gospel on the Ground, essentially because we are living in the midst of a trying time. This is in the history books, for sure. People will study this era as a trial of the world. It's a trial uh, economically, and it's a trial politically, and it's a trial with health, and it's a trial for the church. And it's a trial in your life following Jesus, and it's nothing new. Your life following the Lord and following in the good works that he has prepared for each one of us is going to be hard. And it's going to be full of difficult times. And we've been studying this book to get the confident playbook for how God intends us to grow and learn and get on the other side of trials with joy. And so as we've studied this, themes have come out. If you want to survive the trial with joy, so not just survive it, but get through it excited, you've got to have wisdom. You need to have the perspective that God has for your circumstances and for the world you're living in. And if you really want to live out wisdom, not just study it, but live it, have to have humility. You have to be willing to say, okay, God's way is different than my way. And humility says, I'm going with God, not me. And one of the themes that comes for all of this, and you really don't get one without the other, is Joy, wisdom, humility, and for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at patience. None of this exists on a Sunday morning alone. You don't study this and get it instantly. Your trial doesn't end just because you get joy. And you're not on the other side of the storm just because you're walking in wisdom. And until the Lord returns is the ultimate goalpost that we wait for as the church which means until he returns, it's going to be trial after trial after trial, or as one New Testament writer puts, glory after glory after glory, because you get through the trial to God's glory only to endure what he has next in testing the genuineness of our faith and faith in building us up. So the theme that we're going to put a bow on today is patience. We looked at it for the last two weeks, looking at it through the examples of patience, and then Last week was the antithesis of patience. Uh, patience is, is, is waiting without complaining, so the opposite is grumbling. And all of last week we looked at grumbling. Today we're going to add in another ingredient to the way that we patiently wait for the Lord to return that is so key to how we are to navigate this season of life that we're in. So if you have James chapter 5 open, you can read along with me just two verses this morning, 10 and 11. I'll start in verse 10. It says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So 
we now have James giving us another version of this lesson through some pictures for us to look at. And smuggled into this is a blessing that we are going to receive this morning and hopefully ask a really good question, which is, how do we actually receive this? What James says in patience, look at the prophets, look at Job, and those are case studies in blessing. We consider the prophets and Job blessed. So if you take nothing else from this little passage of scripture, know the espresso shot sermon this morning is, you will be blessed if you endure with God. If you receive his word and the call to follow him in all of its lefts and rights and waiting and suffering and glory that he will reveal in his time, you'll be blessed. He's calling you to a life more abundant and a gift of eternity that is on the other side of your patience. And it's worth pointing out this morning that James does another qualifier for the audience that happens throughout the book. This is a brethren passage. So for our vernacular, this is a believer's passage. This is for those of us this morning that are receiving this word with faith that it's true and a desire to follow it. And I make that distinction because some of you are not believers in the size of a sanctuary. There's some of you are here as a friend of a believer or visiting as an interested person, but not quite a believer. And we're going to talk a lot about the theme of endurance. And this theme for today is for those of you who believe to continue to believe and follow the Lord. This is not a message of endurance for what you're doing apart from the will of God in your life. If you are here investigating, there may be, in fact, some things that the Lord is going to tell you to stop doing to follow him. Of course, that's true of believers as well. But endurance and repentance are separate. You have to repent before you can endure. You have to come into the will of God before it, you're encouraged to continue in that will, which is difficult and hard and narrow, but it leads to life. And before we get into the mechanics of the how, which is really the, the bulk of the sermon this morning, I do want to point out, while I've got both audiences' ears, whether you're a believer or not, the message of endurance is not simply a theological, faith-based message. Let's read the definition to kind of find some common ground, and then I hope that you'll realize with me, this is just true of any success of your life. Whatever you set out to do, you will not get it instantly. If you do, don't trust it. Whatever you set out to do will require the determination and endurance to keep going if you ever want to see the other side of the vision. So here's the definition. Endure to suffer through something painful or difficult with patience. So endurance means God is calling you to do something hard and difficult in relation to those who have gone before you in the category of suffering, but he's calling you to do it with patience. And when you have a patient attitude in difficult times of your life, you are enduring towards the greater thing. And again, not only a church discussion. This is actually a really good time for us to consider the endurance required when we set out every year to accomplish great things with our life in January. January, you come with a list of things that are on your heart or in your mind, or you looked at the mirror and you've come up with some things that you need to do. It's March, so how are you doing? How's the diet? How's the gym? How's the budget? And all of you are like, oh man, I feel so convicted. That's not the message this morning. The message this morning is whatever you do in January, you're going to get called out in March. And you're going to think about how you're doing. 
And it doesn't matter if you set out to learn a language or get a beach body or get better finances or have a relationship that's thriving, you're going to need to get past the first month. And James is now telling the believer, this, this is especially trying when things get tough. When you get into a trial and things get really hard, this is when the gift of endurance will meet you at a fork in the road. Because endurance is how we continually follow God when things get hard, continue to trust him. This is really when we get to give God our faith in times that require endurance. So now the question of how. How do we take a message that says, if you endure, you'll be blessed for your body, for your marriage, for your finances, if you continue to do the wise and good thing in the end of all of the hard things, it will be good. Receive that as truth, but ask the question, how do I get it? How do I endure when I wanna quit? So this morning we asked the question because James is gonna give us a biblical offering as to an answer. And before we get to James' answer, I do wanna take a moment just to say, remember, gospel on the ground is on the heels of Sermon on the Mount, where we looked at, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for all of the months of summer last year and said, this is the constitution of the kingdom. And then we study James say, now how do you live the constitution? How do you put it into your life? So reference point, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is going to give a preview to the answer that James is going to give us this morning. He says, the final blessing of the Beatitudes. And we studied this. This was like a ladder to heaven. Each beatitude building on the next. And this one is the final one. It says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. In other words, have joy in the midst of trial. Count it joy when you're persecuted for the name of Jesus. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they, pro they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's worth pointing out once again, as we are the generation of the gospel for such a time as this, that as God gives us the gift of the revelation of who he is and the knowledge of how salvation is to unfold in our lives, that it's a free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the cross of Christ, not our own good works. It's the empty tomb, not anything we could manufacture. As we become people who are now messengers of the gospel, remember that this is what awaits you in the times that we live in. Be a follower of Christ that can relate to the sufferings of those who have gone before you as proclaimers of the coming of the Lord. It's a reminder that this morning, I do not want to give you a false assumption that if you just believe this, all you have to do is receive from the Lord. On this side of eternity, the cross awaits you. Unless you pick up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Narrow is the way and difficult and hard. And to be a Christ follower means that you believe in the weight of glory of eternity so radically that earth's little afflictions aren't gonna bother you, but they'll be there. They will be there and you will turn them into worship and you'll turn them into prayer. But notice how Jesus sets all of this up as an encouragement. He says, when you go through this, count it joy, your rewards in heaven and remember the prophets. And this is exactly where James will take the continuation of this teaching. Take the prophets as an example. We are, whether we like it or not, people who pretty much just look out at others and take things that we like in others and live it out. So 
in the 90s, you'd call this a follower. You know, it's like, you're such a follower. Well, that's actually kind of a theological revelation because we were made in the image of God. We were made to bear his image and then be a reflection of it. He is light, now we're light. He is love, we're called to be love. So part of the design of God is to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, and then be a reflection of that. That's the design. And it is seen in ways that don't always represent Jesus. We are people who look at others and do things. In fact, I, this week I went to John Whitaker's parenting class, saw some of you there, very good. It'll be going on for another five weeks in Building 500 on Wednesday nights. And the introduction to the class was a great reminder. He said, this is not a class to teach you about discipling kids in Jesus when you're ready. We start this whole class, an idea, with a simple concept. You're already discipling your kids. Whatever you're doing. Whether it's unto the Lord or unto the world. Whether it's unto church or unto sports. You're taking your children on a road that is unlocking the way to live life. For better or for worse because they are made in the image of their parents. In, in the way that they look at you, they pick up your language, and they talk like you, and they sound like you, and they're going to pick up things that you like, and they're going to figure out things that you don't like. And in these formative years, they are tiny little image bearers. It's a reminder that that's the design. And it doesn't go away when you turn 18. All of you are looking out right now, and you've honed in on some people. You say, okay, I'm listening to them, and I'm looking at them, and that's helping me navigate my life. And we do it with all the categories. There are political people you look at, and it's like, thank you for the help. There are sports analysts, there are YouTube stars, and there are heroes. And this is where, throughout time, we always have the archetype of the hero, where we look and we say, I see my hope in them. And the book of James has given us some surprising heroes of the faith. In fact, Mostly when people think of the heroes of the book of James, they're thinking of chapter 2 when we get the heroes of faith in action. Remember Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice? And we're studying that. We're like, that's our hero? And then Rahab, the harlot prostitute, she was able to sneak the spies away and, and cover them so that they could give a message to the nation of Israel that's going to come in. And, and Rahab was a amazing critical piece of that, and it cost her her own safety at times. So faith and works, our, our heroes are surprising. And today we're going to look at some heroes, not of faith in action, but in the category that is just important, and that's endurance. So today's message is called Heroes of Patience, and in the same way, we have some surprising heroes. When I say heroes to a generation of, of, of 2022, they're thinking of Marvel Comics and strength so strong that they're unstoppable. And yet, in the Upside Down Kingdom, here are our heroes. We have a farmer. We have some prophets that endured suffering. And then we have Job, maybe the least likely hero of patience of them all, because how many of us want to have the Job story in our life? I've been a pastor for 10 years, and I get to hear the way that people look to the Bible to form some spiritual heroes. And it's like, how many guys have looked at David and thought, you know, I feel like my biblical reference point is King David. I like that he killed a giant, 
and that he was a warrior and a poet, which is kind of me, and that ultimately he was king. So I relate. I relate to all of that. Or you get the, you know, the modern, you know, entrepreneurial New Testament relation to the guys and the women who look and they're like, you know, who I really relate to is the Apostle Paul. Not because of the suffering, but because he was a tent maker. He was on the move. He was planting churches. He did more than any other apostle and he wrote the Bible. So I relate to that. I relate to his wisdom and knowledge. It's like, okay, cool. We've picked some good points of the story to relate to. Hidden into their stories that we often forget is suffering and hardship. But I very rarely hear someone say, you know who I just love to study and live my life after is Job. I love it. I love when life just pushes me to my knees and I know on the other side it's going to be great. It's not something I hear often. And yet, James is saying, think differently about this story. If you can think differently about your relationship to Job, maybe you can think differently about your relationship to the trial that you're in right now. And so today we're just going to simply look at these three heroes, the farmer and the prophet and Job. And like any superhero, there's something about the character that has a unique offering. I think maybe that's why Superman's the most popular is because he can fly. You know, it's like that is, if you could fly, what would you do? Who knows? These, these heroes each have a unique offering. There's something that we see in their example of patient waiting that as we look at them and consider how they got through, we could look at our own circumstances differently and say, I've just unlocked a power of God in my own life. So let's look at them. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 7. So we're going to go retroactive slightly to bring the farmer into the storyline. It says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it, the earth, receives the early and latter rain. We did an entire weekend where we looked at just this story of the farmer. So for a more detailed glance at this example, feel free to listen to that sermon. But for the purposes of our reference point for our own trial, what does the farmer offer us? And notice the emphasis of James for this morning. He says, look how the farmer waits for the fruit of the earth. And he waits for the rain to come down to the earth and to water the land. And so what does the farmer see? The farmer sees the field. Isn't this, this is like mind-blowing to you guys. Write that down. A farmer sees the field. And yet it is completely different than how we often view the land before us. In fact, as already referenced, last week we were in Exodus chapter 16 to study a story when patience turns into grumbling. When a desire to follow God turns into a fear of where he's taking you and a desire to go back. And remember the point of the story where the grumbling started. It said, when they were in the wilderness. As they, by the grace and favor of God, were set free to journey towards the promised land, they were, in fact, in a barren land. And oftentimes, that is exactly what a trial feels like, or a circumstance of confusion, a a, a timeline of the world where you're not quite sure what's going on. You look out, and you don't see a thriving harvest. You see wilderness, barrenness, no water, no food. And in their view of the wilderness, God ministers to them and says, if you trust me, this land will have food. Manna from heaven. This wilderness 
could be a field for harvest every single day. And yet they didn't see it. And they thought, we should go back to the old land, to the old fields where we could guarantee the food from our labor. And the question this morning is, in the first way that we have to contemplate endurance unto blessing, is what do you see when you find yourself in the wilderness, in between the celebration of salvation and the promise of the, the promised land eternity? What do you see when you can't quite see what God's doing in your life? You're not quite certain what's going on. I think of, I think of our valley. Boise, Idaho. And again, thank you for being new. You give me a reason to talk about our city a little bit. I imagine some of you are not just new to our church. You might be new to our city. Imagine some of you are probably visiting. So welcome. I hope you catch your flight and drive safe home. <laughs> and then come back. I didn't mean like, I'll drive you to the airport. <laughs> like, come back. Like, I'm glad you're here. And if you're meant to live here, please stay according to God's will. That sounded very rude. But let me... Let me welcome you into our city with a fourth grade history lesson. So I went to fourth grade in Eagle, Eagle Elementary. So go Mustangs. And in fourth grade, they told us about this valley because it was a desert. In fact, you don't have to drive in any direction very far before you're reminded that outside of our ability to cultivate this land, it's just a bunch of sagebrush. Now, a couple of 20 years later, and we might be connected Nampa to Mountain Home. Who knows? But right now, there's desert everywhere. And, and, and at some point... In all the dryness, there was this story of these French trappers that came over the ridgeline, and they looked out, and they saw the potential for a field. They saw a river with trees that would grow around it, and they said, for the French speakers among us, la bois. It's the woods. There it is. There's the potential. We could turn this into something. And here we are. They were right. We've turned it into, for, for years and years, it was the Treasure Valley, full of the produce of the valley. And so the question is now, what do you see now? What do you see now? Because now, so many of us who remember the development and the cultivation of the land, we don't see it the same way. Now that the farms are being turned into subdivisions, it's like, hmm, what do we see? This was our city. <laughs> This was our land. This was our childhood memories, and it's all changing, and it's all getting developed. Maybe you've lost the endurance of what God has called you to see in the way that he sees. Maybe God is shifting all of these things in our world right now because he's planting in new ways, and he's bringing new things into our city and shifting people around the world. And is there a way to view things not simply in light of your own little kingdom and how you see your plot of land, but what does God see when everything moves and shakes and people are moving around? And for that, we actually get an answer because this is not a new question. The question of our time is a question of Jesus' time. And it says in Matthew chapter 9 that he would actually go from village to village, just preaching the kingdom and looking out. What did he see? So I'll read it to you. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for, for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, then he said to Calvary Boise, the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few. It's like, wait a second, that first verse 
did not sound like a harvest. It says that he looked out and, and was moved with compassion, with pity, because what he saw was a generation of people who were scattered, directionless, purposeless, didn't know what they were doing with their life. And he also saw that no one was shepherding them. No one was caring for them. And so let me ask you if this verse could maybe just maybe be applied to 2022. And what do we see in a generation that has turned its back on God and the church and is now scattered, looking for purpose, looking for direction, trying to find some sort of ethic that they can believe in and they can live for? And sometimes I look at that scattering and I'm like, these people have lost their minds. What are we doing in our world? Why, Lord, come quickly because this world is gone. I'm no longer enduring for the gospel. I'm no longer being patient for the Lord to return. I'm no longer looking to the Lord of the harvest. I'm only looking at the wilderness of the scattered. What does Jesus see? You all better get ready because where there are scattered people who have no direction and are unshepherded, there will be an amazing harvest. That's the gospel field. The gospel lands where people don't know what they're doing with their life and they're broken. Blessed are the poor in spirit. People are redeemed by the shepherd who comes and said, the good shepherd came to steal, kill, and destroy. And they're like, yep, I experienced that. And then the good that's the bad shepherd. The good shepherd comes to bring life and life more abundant. So Jesus says, the ingredients have just been put together for the gospel to bring a great harvest. The biggest problem that Jesus saw was he's not going to have enough help for all the people that are going to come to the kingdom. What do you see? So we look out and we think about it generationally. Now, very quickly, what do you see in your own trial? We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about Boise, Idaho. What do you see when your life gets pressed Maybe God is bringing a harvest. Maybe God is doing something in your own feeling of scatteredness to return you to the shepherd of your soul. Maybe he wants you to learn once again how to seek him in prayer because he's not only the Lord of the harvest, he's the Lord of your life. What do you see in the wilderness? Okay, so now we come to James chapter 5, verse 10. That was all retro from two weeks ago. So welcome to church, everybody. Oh, if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 5, and we'll be in verse 10. It says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as the example of suffering and patience. So now we have a new power to unlock in the prophets. And there's, we're going to look at two. The first one, James says, once again, a theme of the book of James. Think about your words. He says, in speaking of the prophets, he, he inserts a reminder of the role of the prophet. He says, they spoke in the name of the Lord. And that is James giving us one of the keys to understanding endurance. The prophets who came to bring a message that would be rejected and lead to suffering for their life, they were very clear on who they represented. So if you're taking notes, the second power that we find in their example is the prophet speaks for God. And just like we think about discipleship, it's happening whether you like it or not. So it is with you speaking on behalf of someone. It's just the reality that all of us will go through our trials and we'll try to navigate 
and we'll try to talk about the solutions and we'll try to figure them out with some conversational categories. It's like some of us speak in the name of politics as the solution to trials. Okay, well, you can do that, but the political leader that you look for is going to shape the way and the direction of your trial. And some of us are like, okay, I will speak on behalf of my own goals and my own plans and how this affects my life. It's like, you can do that, but now you're directing the direction of your trial. James says, think about guys who spoke on behalf of the Lord. And why is that important? Well, James, throughout his letter, says that your words actually direct your life. Your words that you speak are like a bridle in the mouth of a horse that can actually turn it to the left or the right. And when you speak on behalf of politics or sports or your interests or just the pleasures of this world or your own ideas, you're directing your life towards that. And when you speak on behalf of God, you're saying, I want to look at this whole thing through the lens of God. How does God see this? And some of you now asking the right question, well, how do I speak on behalf of God? Look what James says in James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then he goes all into how we talk. Wisdom is your ability to understand the design of God so well that you can predict the future. And this is the other offering that the prophet gives us. The prophet has the ability to say, if you do this, this is your outcome. The prophet, if you're taking notes, number two, the prophet sees the future. They speak on behalf of God and they see the future. And so let's just give an example of one prophet that we can elevate this morning to study and look at as a way to say, wow, the power to speak on behalf of God and look unto the future is the power to endure. We see Jeremiah the weeping prophet. He's, he gets the title. I'm sure he wasn't the only one that cried. Every time God called a prophet, he called them to represent a truth that people did not want to hear. And he called them to predict the future of their decision that they would make and the consequence or the blessing that would follow. Today I leave, I lead before you a blessing or a curse. Obey God and you're blessed. If you disobey him, you're cursed. This is the offer of the prophet. If you don't stop uh, worshiping false idols, God will give you over to your enemies. If you don't stop worshiping the, the, the culture of your day, God will allow you to choose your point of worship and he will allow that point of worship to be its own consequence. So Jeremiah comes on the scene and he has to give a message. And his message gets him thrown into dungeon and mocked and ridiculed to the point of tears, but this is the message. Jeremiah chapter 29, for thus says the Lord. After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to the place. Jeremiah is saying, here's what God says about your condition. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That's God's desire in any way that trials and suffering he allows into our life. 
It is so that whatever was robbing our, our worship of him and pointing our hearts towards something else would be revealed, the consequences would be made known, and the future that he wants for us is that we would return to him. After 70 years, you will come to me. And the goal of every trial and every moment of suffering in your life is that you would understand the heart of compassion and mercy to the Lord more and more and more on the, on the other side of every end. That you would come to the Lord. And now we say, how do we endure? How do we endure our time? Well, we do it with the example of the prophet. What does God say about the time that we live in? And what are the options? It's kind of like, again, this parenting class is just making it alive for me, but if for the parents among us, you really hold in a very small way the office of a prophet. Because what you do, especially in the younger years, all day long, is you say, this is how you're supposed to live. I speak on behalf of God. <laughs> this is the way that you should live. Respect me, love me, forgive your sister, help your brother, kindness, Sermon on the Mount for kids. And then... The job and the office of the parental prophet is to say, if you do this, this is what will happen. <laughs> so I have that one a lot going on because Tommy loves light sockets. And I'm like, thus says the Lord of electricity. <laughs> <laughs> if you put your finger in there, you're going to get shocked. And then you're going to run to your mother and she'll comfort you. And I'll look right out of the corner of my eye and say, I hope you don't spoil that boy. That's the, that is the timeline that's going to happen. <laughs> I hope you don't. In fact, the Proverbs and the wisdom that we're trying to understand in the whole study of the book of James is a series of if-then statements. The Proverbs, 31 Proverbs, if you read a proverb every day, you may have read Proverbs 11 on Friday, like me, and this is what it said. Proverbs chapter 11. Indeed, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 25. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So we could do a whole sermon just about the, the amazing blessing of being generous and the horrible curse of being a selfish person. But the point is, in our purposes, there is a design to the universe. There is a design to the way that you should live your life. If you follow God, this is what will happen. If you don't, curse. And in your trial, you are at a fork in the road. The wisdom that God gives you says, I want to bless your life, but you have to endure. And the prophet comes on the scene and says, think of it as God does. What does God say? And what does God want to give you in the future? God says, be joyful, be humble, receive my grace, and I will give you the abundance of life and eternity. That's the plan in your trial. And every single one of us has to wrestle with the prophet's call when you open the word. Are we people who repent and weep and draw near to God, as James will call us? Or are we people that we see in the picture of the nation of Israel who are so blessed that it's like, great advice, Mr. Prophet, but things are going pretty good in my way. The prophet speaks for God and points to the future. And that leads us to the final example of the hero of patience. James chapter 5, verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Peter says that the prophets 
wondered what salvation that they prophesied would even look like. Peter says the, the prophets longed for the day when they would see the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. The prophets encourage people to live by the wisdom of God and hope for the future. But as so many of them, the story ends before they cross the Jordan River. And so James, not wanting us to be left without the end of the story, says, now consider Job, who lived the end intended by God. And the reason that we have to consider Job all the time is because when we're in the middle of the plot, the story of Job starts out really great. Joy of salvation. God is good. You're an image bearer. The middle is horrible. He loses it all. He loses everything and questions how all of this is going to work. And when you're in the middle of that plot, James says, consider Job who made it to see the end intended by God. His power that he offers to us and his encouragement for us is that Job sees the end. He actually sees it. This is how the book of Job ends. Job chapter 42, verse 12 through 17. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Following Christ and the will of God for your life is never better in the past. The days of Job were better at the end than in the beginning, as hard it is for us to believe that. Job lived 140 years saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died full of days. God blessed Job. So one summary for the intended end of God is that God, through suffering and trial and difficulty, is working in you a more genuine faith that you would understand he has the power to take ashes and turn them into beauty. He has the power to take brokenness and restore it whole. He has the power to take something that man intended for evil and use it for good. And that's the intended end, is the blessing of God. And Job's story is to remind us that in the end, it's better than the beginning, no matter how much you want to go backwards. Here's a great summary of the book of Job in, in one sentence. It will be good in the end. Two sentences. It will be good in the end. If it isn't good, it's not the end. And so some of you just need to cling to that. It will be good in the end. It will be glorious in the end. The, the, the weight of glory, the eternal offering that God has for us, that he's prepared for us to walk in unto eternity, doesn't even compare to the light afflictions of the sufferings of this earth. It will be glorious in the end, and if it's not glorious now, then you're not at the end, which means blessed are those who endure. Blessed are those who make it through the hardships of marriage to the next sweet season of romance. Blessed are those parents who make it through the tough teenage years, and now you get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Blessed are the ministry workers and missionaries and pastors called by God to lead in difficult and challenging times, and yet do not give up to God's glory. See the intended end where people are baptized and people get to experience the glory of the Lord. It is the intended end of God that we cling to in the story of Job. Last night, I was at a wedding, just watching the joy of the bride and the groom come together and realize there is not one good thing that you will ever do, even falling in love unto marriage, that will not be full of difficulty. 
And the, the, the joy that I have in marrying people is I always get to hear the stories of how they got there. And almost without fail, they had to overcome some amazing trial of their relationship to get to that day. And yet when the bride was walking down the aisle last night, I just looked and it was a picture of the intended end. And the drama of the relationship and the difficulty of, do you like me and do you not? How are we going to do this? And money and family and blending and all of the difficulty of bringing a man and woman together. But on that day, the intended end is the glory of God and the joy of the union. And I was so grateful for the timing of that because I realized that is our intended end. We're all waiting for a giant wedding feast. We're waiting for this day where we, the church, the bride of Christ, are finally adorned in the beauty that he's preparing in us, that we would be reflections of his glory, washed by his word, clothed in clothes of white, ready for the return. And when that day comes, it will be a wedding feast. And that is the joy of enduring in the Lord. And for those of us that need this message right now, it's remember what you're waiting for. You are waiting for the greatest feast between God and humanity that will ever happen. And as you wait for it, realize that you are called to journey from glory to glory to glory. In other words, from trial to trial to trial. And there is an intended end for every one of them. That you would come to the place, once again, where you see God providing for you, like the nation of Israel in the wilderness. And for that reason, we hold on. We don't let go. And we don't give up. So I put it all together. The three heroes that we study, each offering us power in our own weakness. You have a farmer, you have the prophets, and you have Job. You have a field for God to finish. And I see every single one of you. It's like, may the word land in the heart in the mind of your life because you are a field for God to finish. And as I preach and I think about singing praise to God right after this, it's like, Lord, this little church is just a field for you to finish. Rain on us, send labors into our city, help us to seek you as the Lord of the harvest and realize that all we have to do is hang in there. So we're going to do that as believers, I hope, as we continue week by week, day by day, to just praise God that his mercies are new and that we're still on this side of eternity, which means there's still some reconciling to do with the lost world. There's still some light to shine in the darkness. There's still some people to disciple and souls to save. Endure in whatever God has called you to do. For those of you who are not quite believers yet, this is another invitation from God, surely not your first, and I hope it's not your last, to join into the only thing that you can ever give your life to that you can endure unto eternity. The, the word says that heaven and earth itself will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. If you put your trust in the word of God, you have found the one thing that you will ever find, the treasures of this world, that rust will not decay, that moth will not eat, and thieves will not steal. The shelf life is eternity. And the entry point 
is free. Nothing that you've done could ever give you the endurance to follow Christ unto eternity. Because the endurance comes first from Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. We look unto him, unto salvation, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising our shame. At some point, everyone in the room that believes this morning had to put their trust in that Christ. And you can join us. We would love if you did. For everyone else, why don't we stand? I would, I would love to pray because as has been much of the study in the book of James, I'm thoroughly convinced that my words are very feeble, but God is very great. And I do hope that some of you may be on the brink of not knowing what to do or doubting or feeling lost, confused. By God's grace today, you would have a spirit of endurance to choose once again to follow Jesus, to even if it takes all the strength that you have to open the word with childlike faith, read it and allow the Lord to speak to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and the enduring power of it. We thank you, Lord, that you endured the cross, despising the shame, that you offered us the free gift of your spirit, the same spirit that was in you, raising you from the grave, now in us for anyone who believes. And by your spirit, Lord, will you give us a renewed faith, a renewed confidence in who you are and your ability to calm every storm, to conquer sin and death itself, to provide food in the wilderness, rain for the harvest. You are the Lord and we are so grateful that we get to follow you. Help us to do that more and more every day. In Jesus' name, amen.